she was an incredible person. It was Italy in the 50s. It was a woman running a business. This was not normal. Okay, this was not something common. Probably because it was art was even accessible to her. She was strong. She was stubborn. She was strong-willed. She was very intuitive. Hello, print friends, and welcome. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. This is a bilingual podcast, so if you subscribe to us, you'll be getting episodes in English with me, as well as in Spanish with Ronaldo Hilsenbrano. Together, we speak to people from around the globe about their practice and passions in the field of print media and multiples. Hello, print friend is brought to you by Speedball Art Products. In 1915, Ross F. George published the first edition of the Speedball textbook, which quickly became the superlative resource for artists and letterers of all ages and skills. This is a great resource for the gig poster gang or folks who want to develop their own fonts and letter forms for screen and relief printed work. The new 25th edition of the Speedball textbook has a convenient lay-flat construction and 120 pages of examples, contributors' works, and innovative technical insights that is sure to inspire and appeal to scribes and enthusiasts across the spectrum of skill and experience. There's a link in the show notes. This episode is also brought to you by Legion Paper. Legion is a fine art paper company representing the best papers in the world. They either stock it, source it, or make it. With brands like Stonehenge, Somerset, Coventry, Reeves, Arches, and more, Legion is the best paper resource for every artist's and printmaker's needs. Learn more about the variety of paper Legion stocks at www.legionpaper.com. My guest this week is Simone Guaita from Il Bisante International Printmaking School in Florence. Il Bisante was founded by Simone's great aunt, Maria Luigia Guaita, in 1959. We talk about the exciting history of the school, including anti-fascist organizing, how it was nearly destroyed by a flood, when they printed for artists like Picasso and Wunderlich, and we also talk about what the school is like today as a thriving institution that hosts workshops for people from around the world in their stunning location in one of the greatest art cities. So, without further ado, sit back, Relax and andiamo with Simone Guaita. Hi, Simone. How's it going? Hi. Very well. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sitting down with me. I know that we sorted that we actually met in 2019 in Dallas. And I remember I was really excited to learn about what you do. And I was thinking, oh, maybe I can get to Italy next year. Maybe I can see it in person. Then 2022 happened, plans changed, but I'm really happy that we're getting this opportunity now to sit down, to talk, and to learn more about this kind of exciting history and exciting current life that Il Bisonte has. So thank you. It is a really small world indeed, because it was so amazing to find you after so many years. So, and everything began when I started to work with my grand-aunt, she, Maria Luigia Guaita. She was the founder of El Bisonte. She was the sister of my grandfather. She really had an exciting life. 
and was sort of cinematic cinematic life. But this happened probably because the century she lived in was a really intense century. So she crossed Second World War, for example. That was her main point of her own biography. Because before Second World War, she was a clerk in a bank. So nothing very thrilling, nothing very special. But because she was an anti-fascist, Mm-hmm. And because working in a bank, she was in touch with people making stamp. And that was a talent very important because it was needed to make fake documents mm-hmm. for, for people trying to running away from the fascists and Nazis. So she got involved in the resistance. And, and during the war, okay, what happened to her during the war was amazing. She escaped some incredible dangerous situation and she met incredible people and she built a connection with that people so strong that it lasted for so many years after. That yeah. was very important. The connection she made was something deeper than simply friendship or a work relationship and job relationship. So... But one of the most important point is that the captain of her group was a very important art historian, Carlo Ludovico Raghianti, very important. War finished and she became very friend to him. He was a sort of mentor. During the war, he used to teach art lessons to the people working with him. So maybe they were in the middle of, of a mission, maybe when clandestine newspapers or weeping for the resistance, and it stopped everybody to get inside the church and to have a lesson about the fresco. So that was very weird, but was very deep. Something remained in, in her. She was not educated in art. Mm. Okay? Everything, the, the, the click happened in that moment, in that lessons. So war finished and she became a journalist. And she started to travel the world to do her new job. And in Scotland, she met an artist working with lithography. And she totally felt in love with lithography. Mm. Because now we have to just sort of in, try to imagine what was Italy in that years, okay? It was very different. It was just after Second World War. It was the 50s. It was the reconstruction. Italy was industrialized before Second World War was an agricultural country. It was a huge society revolution, okay? The people changed. The class structure changed so much. So lithography was... What she saw in lithography was the potential of being democratic mm. to be the one language to widespread art. Okay? Hey, we know that woodcut etching, intaglio etching was far older. I mean, lithography was invented in 1797, if I'm right, by Alois Senefelder. So lithography has been around since a while. It was not new was not a breaking through technology. But 
even in Italy, was quite common to find inside typographies, people doing some artistic lithographies. There was not a, a, a structured production of art lithographies around. So what she saw was exactly this, the idea of coming back to Italy over in her own place and produce art editions, lithography editions. So, and that was new. She simply put together some elements that were already around to do something new. At this point, there was no sort of lithography publishing studio in Italy at this time? Okay, not really for art. It was uh-huh. okay, some, yeah. some edition, some edition were already made inside typographies, like a side project, mm. not by people, group, companies, just doing them as their own main activity. So she, she in that moment, decide to, decided to gather her friends, and they probably thought a lot about that. Mm-hmm. And it happened the very first lucky strike of the situation is that one of those people, Rodolfo Margheri, was a teacher of the, of the, a professor of the local Academia delle Belle Arti, new people. And those people were the master printer of the Geographical Institute of the Army, that is in Florence. So this institution had huge places doing maps for the army, but they were already printing with offset. So lithography was already obsolete for them. Mm. For the industrial production, lithography was already becoming obsolete. This is something cool because how many printmaking languages became mainstream when they became obsolete for the industrial right? production? Yeah. That is cool, right? Just think about photo etching, uh, letterpress. There are so many examples like that. So this happened in the 50s. Lithography started to be obsolete and it was very cool because all the stuff they had at some point became cheap, affordable. Right. So this bunch of crazy guys knock at the door and ask it to buy everything. And the institutional was more than happy to sell everything. So they bought three presses, 200 stones, and most important, they hired the lithographers. And that's very cool because everybody knows that Lithography is very easy for the artist. <laughs> for the artist, it's super easy. For the you artist, it, yeah. Because it's super difficult for the lithographer. Mm-hmm. I mean, the lithographer is the one in charge to make everything work and to do the magic, to have the chemical skills to produce, to transform a drawing onto a stone to a matrix. Okay? But the artist, nothing to learn. Just, I mean, it's the same gestures of working on a paper. What the color, charcoals, pens, painting, whatever you used to do on paper, you can do on stone. If you have this super expert person next to you helping. Now, and this is cool. Just imagine that our two lithographers already spent a life doing maps. At some point, they started doing lithographies, colored lithographies with artists. We're like, wow, carnival. (laughs) (laughs) They were super happy. They were finally doing something that was funny 
joyful and, and, and cool. So our technicians were enthusiastic and expert. So the artists that we call for to come and produce edition with us, they were happy, simply. It's very simple. It's very basic, okay? But on, on the other hand, they, they, at the very beginning, they, they had an approach that was very intellectual. So probably they had senior people guiding them, helping them, and they started to work with the informal artist. It was the 50s in Florence. So, okay, it's a quite a traditional city, even nowadays, very figurative. Mm-hmm. Just imagine to have young guys not really known by the general public, except by the experts, to come to Bisonte, try something new. They did very beautiful editions, and almost no one single print was sold. Hmm. So everybody was, wow, maybe we did something wrong. And they probably <laughs> did something wrong. At this point, something very cool happened. This is very personal biography of Maria Luigia Guaita because in that very moment, she was a very, very personal friend of a very important publisher, Enrico Vallecchi. That and Vallecchi edition was, sorry, Vallecchi publisher was very important in the in the fifties and in the sixties in Italy. Great writers, great poets, intellectuals, and. So he asked a personal friend of him to come to Bizonte and try lithography. And this guy was Ardengo Soffici. So Ardengo Soffici is a very important art, Italian artist. It was a very special kind of artist because it was a 360 degree artist. It was a writer, it was a poet, it was a critic. Mm-hmm. He discovered new artists. He brought to Italy very important international arts. It was very, very productive and important. It was a late futurist. So futurism was already over after the Second World War, but still it was so famous. He knew etching. Okay, just think about that. He knew etching, but what he did at Bizonte was lithography. Mm-hmm. New. He was done with another guy taking care of all the difficulties. So it was an old guy. Ardango Sofish was an old artist, but for him, not difficulties, in doing something new. Right. And he enjoyed it so much. Was so happy. And the lithography he did was very beautiful. And he did talk about that about with his friends. And so after Sofici came to Bisonte, Gino Severini, Alberto Magnelli, and the most famous Italian artist we have in our collection, Carlo Carra. So with those four late futurists, Mm. And this is super cool. If you start to think about why not the other ones, because they were informal, they were not figurative. Okay, but even Magnelli, uh, Severini are not really figurative. But because the other one were already famous. Right, yeah. And so and lithography happened in the right moment, in the right place. A country that was undergoing a sort of social revolution. Wealthy was arriving. The middle class was increasing. They wanted to have status symbols. Mm. And 
what better than an artwork for a famous artist, but affordable because yeah. it's a multiple and it's a lithography. So lithography was a perfect medium for having famous artists at affordable price. Yeah. And then mind me, because all the informal ones, the, the, the first one I told you, after 20 years, they were sold out. Right, right, right. <laughs> I mean, this, this, seem, this seems very simple and straightforward. If you start to think a little bit from a different point of view, you understand that this is one of the basic rules that printmaking, working with multiple have. So you are proposing to widespread art. So with certain kind of prices, with certain kind of artists. So for example, this is very personal opinion, but maybe this language, lithography, is best for already mid-career or already important artists. If I was a younger artist, I would probably pick up some other languages at the very beginning. Mm. Yeah. This doesn't want to be one direction thinking. But if we balance what history is telling me, it's of this very same place, this is what I, that springs in my mind. Mm -hmm. I can just speak to my own experience working in galleries really around the world. A lot of artists, even if they love print, they'll go and they'll get their fame in painting and sculpture, sometimes even in performance or activism. And then once they have that name, they'll then return. They'll then come and do an edition or they'll do a series that incorporates woodcut. But it is an uphill, I mean, it's always to get fame as an artist, an uphill struggle. But if you're trying to do it, I think just working in that medium, I, I agree. It's, it's, it seems to work better to move into the other languages, as you say, and then come back to printmaking. If you, if you think about, about it after the market point of view, mm -hmm. that seems really true. And printmaking can be a wonderful, perfect language to widespread your art, mm -hmm. to gather new collectors, to make your own works know by new people that maybe don't want to spend so much money for one single art object and maybe can afford to take something that is a multiple. But something that I always struggle is that we use Okay, in Italiano, in Italian, we say we use more grafica d'arte, so graphic art, more than printmaking. We do not have real right. printmaking. It could be stampa d'arte. But we, we consider them as one single entity, but they're different. Mm -hmm. the, te the techniques, they're different one from the other, not just in the way you're doing them, but even in the way you propose them, in the social role, in the market role, in the, in the communication with not just under the artistic point of view. I mean, understand, I understand that every single artist have a language, a poetry that goes along better with some more than the others, 
of course. But once you have your objects, once you have your prints on the table, they may have a different role. Mm -hmm. So let's go back to history because that was just the beginning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's another, another couple of moments of El Bizonte that, that are very intense, I think. So a, a, as I was telling you, with the, with the arrival of the four late futures, El Bizonte really just became a very important place for for lithographies in Italy, for art in Italy. And something very cool happened in 1962 because thanks to Carlo Dovico Ragianti, the art historian I told you, there was the in that moment he was very important, was really up in his career. And he got in touch with Pablo Picasso and asked him to have an edition with us. But Picasso accepted only if all the money were not going to Il Bisonte, but for the anti-fascist cause. Mm. This reason he accepted. Picasso was not easy to work with. I mean, it was really inaccessible. But because Maria Luigia Guaita was a partisan, because Carlo Ludovico Ragianti was a partisan, and all of them were anti-fascist, he accepted, but asked us all the money to go for the cause. So in 1962, they did this edition and all the money went to pay lawyers to defend political prisoners in the Frankist Spain. We have to remember that in that years, Spain was under the dictatorship of Franco, the fascist mm -hmm. dictatorship mm -hmm. of Franco. So not big money for us, But the fame that came out was huge. I mean, 62, Bizonto was opened in 59, so just three years old. We were already working with four important late futurists, five important young, soon to be important, young former artists and Pablo Picasso. It was quite a big start. Yeah. So everything was going perfect, amazing. They were very, very happy. They gained money. And bought this premise, the premise I'm in now, that is a wonderful, beautiful place in, in San Nicolò, that is on the south part of Florence, Italy, and just next to the Arno River. Now, this is one of, this is a very beautiful neighborhood, but a little bit too near to the Arno River, because mm -hmm. in 1966, there was the flood. This neighborhood went under six meters of flood. Of water and mud and gasoline it was really a, a disaster. And we cannot talk about the flood if we do not talk about Maria Luigia. She was an incredible person. And first of all, it was Italy in the 50s. It was a woman running a business. This was not normal. Okay? This was not something common. Probably because it was art was even accessible to her. She was strong, she was stubborn, she was strong-willed, she was very intuitive. And this was very funny because she never really understood how much strong was her intuition. Right. She always felt herself to be lucky. It was, she was not lucky. She really understood the situation before the others. 
just maybe one glimpse of time before the others, but always like that it was incredible. For me, it was charming. She never understood that. She always thought, I'm lucky. And because of that, she was superstitious. But really was a world of men, and she was one of the few women doing business. So it was not common. So when flood happened, she was ready. Mm. She was the right person because she did not simply fatalistically accept the disaster. She said, this is a challenge I have to accept. This is a new challenge. There was the war, now there's the flood. And what she did was very simple. She asked the international artists to come to Byzantine work with us to let the business go and, and start again. So... Very, very first important artist that answered the call was Henry Moore, the English mm -hmm. sculptor, and that felt in love with the place, with the people, with the master printers, and, and kept coming back, doing a new edition every year. And he brought to us his friend Graham Sutherland and Lynn Chadwick and Jacques Lipchitz. And then, just to tell you a few important names, Rufino Tamayo from Mexico, Wunderlich from Germany. Shavinsky, that was a teacher of the Bauhaus, uh, Alexander Kolder from the USA, Platon from Holland, Farrell from Ireland, Arroyo from Spain. So many international artists, many famous, many others, young ones that faded away. Right. <laughs> Not every single edition was a success. Mm. But she got out of the flood stronger than before. So at that moment, after the in the beginning of the 70s, Il Bisonto was one of the, the, the few important international art publishers in Italy. And everything was going super good. Now, well, not usually in the, in the cozy place of this building, I will explain people what happened to lithography. Because at the very beginnings of the 80s, lithography was killed mm. and faded away. And this is very specific talking, can be even a little bit boring, about additioning, about numbers, about fakes and things. But the point is that lithography, as we were talking a few moments ago, is a very widespreading language. So it's not supposed to go to expert. It goes to everyday people. Mm. And these everyday people do not have the skills to understand which one are the good lithographies and which one are not. Yeah. They do not know the artists, they do not know the history, they do not know the points that cast out a very good, properly done lithography from one that is not, maybe is a very luxury poster. Okay. So it was a rough moment. For I'm working in this place since 26 years. And what happened is that for many years, what happened is that I arrived to Bizonte, and the main activity of Bizonte is a printmaking school focusing on etching. But the very place I'm, I'm talking now, from which I'm talking now, is the library of the foundation, and as all the walls are covered and Lithographies. Yeah. Just for showing to you, not for the people listening to us. Okay. So, why in this room 90% of the prints on the walls are lithos, but we're focusing on etching? And so I started 
asking myself, why something must be happened. And so asking people, asking questions, I discover what happened. It's not nice. Mm-hmm. But uh, all the people that know Pernican since many years know what I'm talking about. But etching survived. Hmm. Etching came out of those terrible years better than before. For many different reasons, because it's, uh, it's, more, it's more difficult. It's difficult to run edition too long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the artists at work on a plate with their own hands or with their own language or with their own medium because things are changing so fast. So etching, intaglio, working on metal is radically different from lithography. Even in, in, the, in the way you, you, you project, you design, and you, you produce an edition. I, I don't want to say one is better than the other. For that's of course not my position. I I I love lithography. I love all of them. So it was founded 1959. Had this huge period of growth right away. You know, so the first three years you're already in talks with Picasso, and then through the 70s, even more growth. You've got the the flood, but you get some notoriety from that. You get to work with Henry Moore. And then as you spoke to, the the 80s was a hard time for lithography everywhere. There had been this boom all over the world in the 60s and 70s of of people producing editions with with artists. And there was blowback from that, which would be a whole like five podcast series to talk about how all of that happened. But so you said at that point you'd already been there for 26 years. So had you kind of grown up? going to Bissante and, and, and seeing these artists, or was this a decision that you made when you were going to start your career later in life? Where did you come in to, to the studio? And did you think and hope that you were going to be taking it over one day? Okay, this is cool. I was studying architecture. So my this weird aunt I have, Maria Luigia, I mean... She was running a place that was not really clear to my mind. What's she's doing? She's doing lithography, etching. What is exactly them? What, what is she doing? So out of curiosity, when I arrived to Florence, I just sneak in and started to see what was happening over here. And I like everybody knows this place. This, this language is enthralling. When you, you start to see what's happening, it's is difficult not to get committed to it. So I came to Bisonte to work one summer and just fell in love with everything. And moreover, it's not just a gallery. It was not just a gallery. It was the school. And the school was full of young artists, incredible, amazing people and, and master printers. And sometimes very old, famous artists were dropping in and just having their own speech. I was young and was, wow, this is amazing. And so I, I remained, and my aunt, she was not easy. Mm. She fired me three times, okay? So I kept coming back, and probably she was happy about that. She, she, she trusted me at some point, and 
slowly, to be honest, the, there was a sort of missing generation, generation between me and her. My mm-hmm. father never, never worked there. So there was the, there is this guy, Rodolfo Ciccotti, that is an artist and is the school director. He was a sort of the missing link. Okay. He was, I mean, for many years, for many of those 26 years, he was the one in charge. Okay. Now I'm, I'm since 10 years, since five years, uh, more and more up to be the one that take important decision over here. But I had my time to, to learn from scratches and to understand how everything works. I attended my class. I did several prints. I tried all the languages and I, I'm not an artist. I'm not a technician, but at least I know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And one, but probably the thing that I love the most is how much printmaking changed in this past 26 years. Mm. And this is so important because it, seems, it simply gives a very basic through. It's not dead. It's not a stiffed animal in a museum. Mm-hmm. It's alive and kicking and running away. So it's even so impossible to give perfectly cast rules. Okay, Because once you design a set, a ground, a field... Printmaking is running away. It's just doing something new, something different. Of course, we are we suffer for new trends. Okay, photography, digital, artificial intelligence, whatever new is happening. At some point, arrives over here, do a huge mess. Everybody gets mad, and then slowly, what's good remains, mm-hmm. and what is the the dust. Just simply calms down. So things are happening. Printmaking is changing. And this makes this place, I really love to think this place as a place in which we have every single day a dialogue. I have three people in the studio working, two, three teachers. And we have an art historian and me and other two people in the secretary office working and and we have the director Rolfo Ciacotti that is a Accademia Le Belle Arti former professor and artist and Monica Franchini that is a, um, a professoressa delle Belle Arti dell'Accademia Le Belle Arti working with us now and I can tell you that and I have to say that Marco Poma and Michele Mascarucci because if I have to tell two names I have to give all the names right uh, <laughs> Each one of us do not have the same opinion as the others. Mm-hmm. And this may seem a little bit confusing, but there is not one El Bisonte position. Okay? We spend whole afternoons talking about what is making, what is regional, what is not regional, what is contemporary, what is too much old style. When it worries, everything's going. I mean, this is very cool. And it's very alive. Yeah. Not, I mean, you cannot open a book and read the description of what is printmaking. Because printmaking is not still. And so what we do at Bisonte is trying to have people from Italy, from our friends, our artist friends, 
professors from universities, artists from Italy and from all over the world to come over here and to talk, to teach, to to have a dialogue. And sometimes they come with, sometimes every time, each one of them come with their own vision. There is not, we do not judge. We try to merge, to talk, to pull, to have a pollination of ideas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is this brings me to another opinion that I'm so fond about Premakin is that is one of the most community-based one, community-based techniques. And that's very simple because we have presses and they cost too much money. So <laughs> each single artist, each single young artist cannot buy one. And so they are forced, even if they do not like it at the beginning, to attend studios. And you get used to that. You get used to people. At some point, when you maybe get grown up as an artist, you decide to have your own studio. But you keep going back to the other one because you are used to that. And if you're used to a studio, you're used to have to listen to other opinions. And this is amazing. There are not many other languages that have this kind of base that is very special. So I, I noticed that I did not talk about what El Bisonte is now. Yeah, that was going to be my next question is sort of, <laughs> so are you, are you still producing editions with visiting artists and selling them? It sounds like you do workshops, you're doing lithography and etching. Give us the overview of, of what happens day to day at El Bisonte in 2023. This is cool. I'm going to, I'm going to do it starting from Florence is an amazing city in Italy. It's, it's, it's a small city. It's not very big, but it's full of art, wonderful art. It's a wonderful city to walk around and see and have inspiration. It's one of those places in which probably once in a life they're yeah. going to come. And whenever you are pre-making, usually just knock to our door. And so it's very common to drop over here and find friends or new friends or people just talking with me, moving around, seeing the place. This is very cool. And we are very open to that. We like to show people. We have foundation, so we like to spend a little time talking about us. So in Bisonto, we are in this neighborhood next to Piazzale Michelangelo, in a very old, ancient, historical building. And we have two big studios one smaller one, and then we have a fourth place that is a letterpress workshop, and then we have a gallery with a library. And this is El Bisonte. In the gallery, we have the archive of all the former edition done by El Bisonte art publisher from 1959 till 1982. And there are more than 1,000. And then we have a collection of prints that we received from so many different reasons. And we have exhibition of a year of artists, sometimes younger, sometimes more solid artists. And we have even a corner for sort of shop for 
prints from our younger artists and from our students. And then we have the studios in the, in the, in the workshops. In the workshop, we have most, we sort of more or less 12 etching presses and two lithographic, three lithographic ones, even that quite old style. Mm-hmm. And we, we mostly focus on etching, even if etching is very wide. So we can go from photo transfer, sort of photo etchings in a sort of way, tell the very traditional engraving on copper. So it can be very, very wide. The studio is organized and we do mostly classes. So we have one specialization class that is one year round long from September, September, October till June, July, every day, every morning from Monday to Friday. Very intense, very personal. We, we usually work with students that already finished university. Let's say young artists, because they're supposed to come over here with a quite idea on their own art. So we try to help them to refine their research following their own ideas. Then at some point when it's unexpected, we just kick them out of the comfort zone and we try them to try new languages, new stuff, even if they do not like them, because it's very different to do something because you just know that something or because you decided that that one is the, the things you like. But on one side, we have this specialization classes. On the other, we have a community following us from even since so many years. There are Florentine-based people. Some of them are artists. Some of them are just people that love this, this language. And so they can get into the studio through a, a sort of card, buying classes, buying every single layer class. Or we have even students from the Academia de Libella that need a big up place to work on their own edition for their own projects for the school. And they need a place that's a little bit quieter with a little less people than than the academia. And then we have artists in residency. So there are not many. We usually have five to 10 every year. There's a call, uh, there's a call every year that is due to be out on, on, on summer for the autumn and spring and, and winter. And I, I'd like to to underscore that we have, there was an artist, Thomas Wood from Seattle, that came to Bizonte several times. It was a very good friend of Maria Luigia Guaita, and I met him. And I met him when I was younger. And he was one of that guy that was important for me to fall in love with etching. Mm. He was an amazing person. And he died a few years ago. Mm. And his family is helping us with sponsoring three residencies for American artists. People that are interested may browse our website or social media channels for having more information on that. So this is important for 
the American people, but we have even our international calls. We are, we have usually 50% of people that is Italian and 50% is international. So the language in the studio is sort of pitkin between Italian and English and some others, mm -hmm. <laughs> some other languages, but that's very cool. Somebody may find it, may find it a little bit annoying, it depends on what kind of person <laughs> you are. Is is very. We do not have very big numbers. We usually have for the specialization class twenty people. Uh, for the other activities, we we usually do not have more than 10, 20 people in each studio. So we try to do many things. We are since two thousand and five. We are a foundation. So as a foundation, things tilted a little bit. We are no profit, so we started even to focus more on culture or our archives or on heritage, cultural heritage. So, as I told, as I told you, to, to to spend time with people, storytelling, telling people what we're doing, is just good for us. We even feel it's good for printmaking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and but this is. This is one of my favorite points. That is, sometimes when, when printmaker usually complains about people not buying prints anymore, they blame on them. They blame on they're not culture, they're not expert, they we had to explain them, we had to make them able to understand our language. Yeah, in part it's probably true. <laughs> Lithography did the magic talking with people that did not have the skill to understand what they were selling to them. They simply were beautiful prints. Mm -hmm. In a sort of way, very epidermic. Okay. Everything was on the paper. Everything was it. there. Colors, composition, ideas, poetry. Mm -hmm. But in action, you had to dig. You had to penetrate. You had to understand. Not everybody. It's not for everybody. This is a, what I call the, the beautiful paradox. Etching is difficult, it's complex, but it's a multiple. So it's supposed to be for many people. So this is even probably one of the reasons that we see so many editioning getting shorter and shorter, having monoprint monotypes. This was something uncommon before. Yeah. Do you do, are you a printmaker? I'm not a printmaker. I'm a art historian and big print fan. <laughs> so, uh, but do you have, do you know some printmakers around you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How much, how much, how long are the edition? How many copies, how many prints do they do? 25, 15, you know? Editions of the 80s, of the 70s, mm -hmm. of the 60s. There were 50, 80, 100, 150 prints. I, I think about that a lot. I do not have an answer, but one of the things that I do not like is that I see people, artists, don't asking questions to, themsel to themselves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, I don't, want to, I don't want to teach nothing to anybody. Okay? Mm -hmm. I, think, I think that everybody should cut their own truck, their own life. And every single life experience is different. Every single place in the world is different. What I say is just 
learn from history, learn from what you have around, ask questions, don't go blind, don't go stubborn. Then every single operation can be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I know that on the website it talks about, you know, the focus sort of for the next 50 years of Bisante. You've had this storied and, and exciting 50 years. But the next one is to continue to teach about traditional lithography on stone and and etching. And maybe you can speak to why why is that important to for for you personally or for Bisante the Foundation to keep these traditional mediums alive and activated in the art world? Not an easy question. <laughs> Okay, it's easy. It's even too much easy. It's not cannot cannot be short. Okay, mm-hmm. there are many reasons to learn printmaking. I have my own. I have a list. Okay, I have a bullet list of reason why to learn printmaking. Some of the list, some of the points on the list are not easy to tell people. Is is very current style okay but let's say first of all it builds your character okay it's difficult it's slow it's painstaking you design you project you do mistakes you you repair and you it's not immediate in our society that everything is immediate just simply to take your time reflect learn from your mistakes, go on again, uh, something life-saving, okay? Mm. Second, it's very flexible. There are not very many languages for which you have multiples. They are precious. Each single print is precious. So you can afford to give it to a friend, give one print to a friend, to a gallerist, to a journalist, to a girl from a podcast. Okay, if I'm an artist and I have prints, I have a tool that a sculpture maybe do not have, that a painter probably do not have. It's practical. This is so cool. This is I, I work in the my role and this foundation sometimes is very practical, managing stuff. If I have if I, I did have an exhibition of Byzantine in Australia, I had to ship. 25 prints to Australia and was so affordable. Mm-hmm. Just imagine to ship 25 oil paintings. No, thousands, thousands of euros. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe you are a sculpture and you can just ship three sculptures and 20 prints. You're going to have an amazing exhibition, but controlling the that this is very trivial but i can talk to you about the the darkness the black mm. the blackness you have an etching you cannot have with other languages you cannot have it it can be palpable is deep is is a skin on the paper that no other language may have mm-hmm. and you have paper a paper is amazing. Paper should be that 
because we have digital, because we have screens, and somebody told paper is going to disappear. It's not disappearing because we have hands and we have nose and we smell paper, we touch paper and we love paper. Yeah. So one of the most beautiful things you can do onto paper is printing and etching. It's so full of meaning. Okay. And then, and this is so crazy as the, this is going to be really on the brink of what's happening now. Okay. So just allow me to be a little bit too over the lines, a little bit courageous, but I went to a festival for illustration illustrators. Okay. And they are panicking because mm -hmm. artificial intelligences. Mm -hmm. okay? And it was so relaxed. <laughs> and I told them, yeah, yeah, okay. To printmaking already happened. Right. Photography happened. Mm -hmm. Before photography, all the images, our stuff. Photography happened. And yeah, okay. 25, 99, 95, 90% of the people lost their job. But printmaking survived. It became artistic. Mm -hmm. It became art. Only art. Okay? So I think that in our society, everything is changing so fast. And artificial intelligence and digital and computers are going to be an, an amazing tool. What we're doing now is thanks to internet, computers, wide, wide band. Everything was useful. It is a tool, but what remains is that what is really, what really needs a soul, what is art, cannot be done by, and if one day machines are going to do that, human collectors are going to pick up the one doing, done by humans, not by machines, just mm -hmm. for the sake of that, because that's the core, the meaning. It's because it's done by human, not because it is the human one is better than the one done by the machine. Probably the one done by the machine is going to be better than the human made soon. But that's not the point. The point is human made, handmade. Mm -hmm. And so uh, luxury is going to be linked to this concept. There's always going to be space for people producing beautiful prints, meaningful prints in a future world, in a far future world in which maybe they're going to be even artificial intelligence collectors. Who knows? Who knows? I feel like that's just, that's, that's beautiful. And I, I feel like that's the perfect note to, to wrap up our chat on is 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 why it's still important. I, I loved everything you said. So where can people find Bisante online? Where can they follow it, get involved, apply for residencies through the if they're American, through maybe the, the Thomas Wood scholarship or anything like that? Where can that be found online? Okay. Very good. We have a website. So www.ilbisonte.i and then we have we are present in, in Instagram and in Facebook. 
il bisogno di printmaking in Instagram, e fondazione il bisogno in Facebook. So we do update them, these channels, not super, we're not super fast in doing that, but we are with them, information are with them. Maybe uh, we can be a little bit swifter, but and we have a newsletter. Oh, nice. People may go on our website and enroll to our newsletter that is mostly in Italian, but still it works. The basic information are over there. And the new calls for scholarships and artists and residences program are going to get out in a few days. Great. Seven days, no more than 10 days. So just check our channels, follow us, would be mostly appreciated and if it ever happens to be in Florence just take your time to knock at our door better in the morning mm-hmm. we will be super glad to show you our premise mind me don't come no, don't come to Florence for one day or two days Florence is so beautiful it needs more than two days And if you stay for more than two days, you will probably find the time to drop away and, and just talk with me. Wonderful. Oh, that's, that is a beautiful invitation. I, I hope to take you up on it myself someday and, and see the incredible thing that is Il Pisante. So thank you so much for letting me borrow an hour of your afternoon. And, and I'm really excited to share our conversation and the history and everything we talked about today with the listeners. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you to you. This is amazing. This is so cool to have people listen to this little story. If you liked today's episode, we have a Patreon where you can help us keep the lines on and get bonus content. Like Shop Talk Shorts, where our editor Timothy Pauschak digs deep on materials, processes, and techniques with past guests. Also, if monetary support isn't in the cards right now, you can leave a review for us on your podcast listening app of choice or buy something from one of our sponsors and tell them Hello Print Friend sent you. But as always, the very, very best thing you can do to support this podcast is by listening and sharing with your fellow print friends around the world. And that's our show for this week. Join me again in two weeks when my guest will be Jenny Robinson. We talk about the incredible project she's taken on of starting a new print shop in Sydney, Australia, which is now home to the largest French tool press in the Southern Hemisphere. We also talk about how you might get a chance to name it and get some prizes along with it. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week.